Pastor Brian, we welcome you this morning. We're glad you're here as we uh, get ready to get in God's Word. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'd like to give you one. We'll pass one out to you. We'd like you to have the Word of God in your lap as we uh, go through it, as we uh, read it. So please, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll get one to you. Also, as Mike shared, again, please fill out these contact cards with, uh, you know, if you're new here, you can fill it out. Uh, also, uh, we want you to fill these out for prayer requests. Uh, what we're doing is uh, the back of these are for prayer requests. You can put your name on there. Please put today's date on there as well. Uh, so date with today. And then whatever the Lord, you know, whatever you feel like the, you need prayer for, please put it on there. What we do is we collect all these cards. You can uh, put them in the uh, tithes and offering box back there in the back. We don't, we don't pass a plate, so uh, put that back there in the back. Also, uh, you can turn them in at the Welcome Center, but get these back to us so we can uh, be praying uh, for you guys. And we keep them. We put them on our wall back here in the back room, and then we uh, pray for them and lift them up on uh, Sunday evenings and throughout the week. So please uh, fill that out. We're going to be in uh, Acts chapter 14 this morning. Acts chapter 14. Looking at the conclusion of Paul and Barnabas, their, their first missionary journey, kind of toward the end of the first missionary journey. And uh, kind of might seem like school up here for a minute, you know, who, what, where, when, why. You know, don't freak out. I didn't like English either, okay, you know. That's why I went to school for engineering. I didn't like English. I figured if num numbers and formulas and stuff, that's a lot better than words, you know, just don't work too well with me, so uh, don't, don't freak out, though. We're going to look at uh, several things in, in the Word of God this morning in chapter 14 that I believe God has for us. Um, we'll, we'll read a little bit here in the beginning of uh, chapter 14 in verse 1, and then we'll, then we'll pray one more time. So Acts chapter 14 in verse 1. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands." But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and to the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. Let's, let's pause and we'll pray one more time. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you that we uh, get to hold it in our laps. We get to uh, study it. We get to read it, Lord. And Father, by the power of your spirit this morning, Lord, I pray that you open up our hearts to receive your word, Lord, your, your word that you wrote for us and you wanted us to have, Lord, to impact our lives, to change our lives. So Father, pour out your spirit afresh upon us today as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So at the end of chapter 13, kind of fill you in, um, they, Paul and Barnabas, they had just gotten kicked out of an area in Antioch. Uh, it's over in Asia Minor, not Antioch, Tennessee, okay? Antioch over, over in Asia Minor. They had just gotten expelled. They got kicked out of that city because of what they were doing, you know? So we're going to see a lot of that today. Whenever, whenever the Word of God goes forth, there is always opposition to that. Look again at verse 1. Now it happened in Iconium that when they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. So as they get expelled out of Antioch, they go to the city of Iconium. And the first thing they do is they go back to the synagogue to preach the word of God, to teach the word of God. They did not get off track. The opposition that they faced in Antioch did not get them off track of what God called them to do, which was to preach the word of God. And we're going to see that, you know, a lot throughout here. We answer these questions, who, what, where, when, and why. 
Notice also in verse 1, it says that they, they spoke that a great multitude of the Jews and the Greeks believed. So they had a lot of success between Jews, Greeks. It did not matter who listened or who heard. They taught the same gospel to both. They didn't have a gospel over here for this group. They didn't have a gospel over here for that group. The fact is, is that they preached the same thing to both groups, the same thing that we teach today, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that salvation is only in him, and by our belief and trust in him, we will be saved. So the success here kind of was probably refreshing. Again, remember at the end of 13, they just got kicked out, you know, on other occasions, you know, Paul stays, you know, they decide to stay in a region. Sometimes they go out and uh, they get forced to another region, you know. Sometimes, you know, the Lord has a way of moving us around like that, right? You know, we ask ourselves, well, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Where do you want me to go today? You know, where? Well, wherever he's moving you, wherever he's leading you, wherever he's directing you. And he has certain ways of doing that, right? He has a way of getting our attention to move us around could be persecution, could be a vision, could be certain direction. When we see that here, that you know, the Lord had a way of moves, moving them into this area of Iconium. And they, it says there that they so spoke. You know, Paul and Barnabas presented the gospel in a way that invited belief. It invited belief. And they preached and encouraged the people to believe in the message of who Jesus Christ is and what he had done for them. You know, we don't need big words. We don't need a dramatic form of preaching in order to win over people to Christ. Thus say the Lord! No, I'm not going to do that this morning. I don't teach like that, okay? That, that doesn't really do a whole lot. It doesn't really do a whole lot for me. It probably doesn't do a whole lot for you. So I'll just spare you that this morning, okay? You know? I try. <laughs> I watch some stuff online and videos of teachers on TV, you know? Good, 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 good stuff there, yeah. You know, Pastor Chuck said, simply teach the Word of God simply. Simply teach the Word of God. No hype. You're not going to find that kind of hype here at uh, Calvary and Columbia. You know, although we do have a smoke machine on order for the worship team. No, I'm just kidding. No. No, we don't. No. Don't do that kind of stuff. No. Yeah, Ron's like, yeah! <laughs> no. Um, successful ministries will always create opposition. Wherever God is moving, there will always be opposition because it gets people out of their comfort zone. It gets people uneasy. It gets Satan uneasy, okay? Look at verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Poisoned their minds. Uh, kind of means like gossip, you know? It wasn't all of them there, but there was a certain group of them, you know, that, you know, didn't believe, they rejected the message, and then they stirred up others to reject the message as well, and also the messengers, Paul and Barnabas. Gossip. How does that happen? Well, you know, Paul's not that great of a speaker, you know, I mean, look at that little short man, I mean, he's not that, he's not that very good, you know, I mean, do you really believe what these guys are saying, seriously? I mean, come on. Do you think they really know what the truth is? You know, there's really no such thing as the absolute truth. And it stirs, and it builds up, and it poisons the minds. You know, as believers, we have to be very careful of our idle talk and gossip. And believers, we're, we're pretty good at that, right? Well, I just want to share this with you because I know you'll pray about it, and I love them very much, and I know you'll pray with me, but this is what they did to me. Ooh, careful, careful. We need to do what the Word of God says. We need to pray about it and then go to that person that wronged us. Go to that person that, you know, that we have that friction with. Don't go around and just tell others to be praying about it. And we're told in the Word of God to go and reconcile ourselves with that person before we do anything else. You know, in the New Testament, there's 24 verses in the Bible regarding Christian to Christian reconciliation. Do you think it's important to the Lord? Absolutely. Because this little bit of gossip, these little whispers amongst the crowd, what they do is they end up poisoning our mind. They end up destroying and opposing the work of God in our lives. We need to be careful of that. 
Look at verse 3. He says, therefore, they stayed a long time. Why did they stay a long time? Well, probably be because of all this poisoning of their minds going on, this gossip going on. They stayed there. No matter, even though there was opposition, you know, they were only ready to leave when it was absolutely necessary for them to leave, when they felt like the Lord was taking them somewhere else. They stayed because they knew that these Christians, these young Christians in Iconium, they needed to be grounded. They needed discipleship. They needed to be taught the Word of God. So maybe you're a new believer. Maybe you got saved last week, last month, last year. Or maybe you're a seasoned believer. You've been walking with the Lord five years, ten years, twenty years. You know, we have to have that mature brother or sister in our life that can speak into our lives and sow into our lives and help us with our discipleship. We're all, you know, nobody here is, is, per, is perfect. No one is at that point of perfection. The Lord is working in each and every one of our lives. Each of us have a walk. Each of us have a testimony. Each of us have a story of how the Lord is doing that. So we need to make sure that we have that older brother or sister that we can go to for encouragement, that we can be discipling also, have that younger person in the faith that you can pull alongside you. Hold them to your wing and disciple and speak into their life. So they stayed there a long time. What were they doing? They were speaking boldly in the Lord. It says there in verse 3, speaking boldly in the Lord. Despite the opposition, Paul and Barnabas continued to preach boldly, bearing witness to the word of his grace, teaching others about the gospel and who Jesus Christ is. We're going to continue to do that here. We're not going to change the message we're not going to, you know, try to build it up, make it look pretty. or what. It's the Word of God. Sunday after Sunday, when you come in here, next week when Tim comes, you'll, you'll hear the same thing. The Word of God being taught, speaking boldly His Word. Because what more do we have to offer? Nothing. Nothing more. It also says that they granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. The, the Lord, you know, here when you, when you see that, the, these, these signs and wonders... You know, the Lord, you know, had a, had a way of using them in a mighty way. You know, can he use signs and wonders? Yes, absolutely. He can still do that today. Could be gifts and talents that he's given you to use today, right? Look, at, uh, look quickly at uh, Matthew 9. If you'll flip over there, Matthew 9. A few pages to the left. Matthew 9. Thank you, sir. Matthew 9 and verse uh, 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, Jesus speaking, because they were weary and scattered like sheep with no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. There's definitely a need for more workers to go out to be used by the Lord. He's given each and every one of us certain talents, certain gifts to be take our hands and feet and make them a part and become a part of the ministry of what the Lord is doing. We get to do that. It is a privilege to do that. We get to be used by Him. Also in verse 3, it says that they were bearing witness to the word of His grace. What were they preaching? They were preaching the word, salvation through grace, by grace of Jesus Christ alone. That's what they taught. We also need to open our mouths and speak boldly the gospel message, clearly a gospel of grace to those who do not believe. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the word of God that you have in front of you is in fact that? It is a message for everyone to hear. Do we truly believe that? You know that it won't go out void? Isaiah 55, 11 says, so, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void or uh, empty is what that means, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. The power of the word of God. That's what we have in front of us today. That's what you have in your laps. The gospel message, his word. And again, whenever it goes out, whenever the word is taught, there will be opposition. Look at verse 5. Back with me in uh, Acts 14. Notice it says, And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse 
and stone them, a violent attempt. Opposition usually ends up turning violent. A violent attempt, you know. They, were try- they started off with the poisoning of the mind, right? You know, they started off with the gossip, right? That wasn't working so well, so they moved to violence. We see a lot of that in our world today. But they were aware of it, and they fled from the area. You know, the, their perseverance here under this difficulty, this difficult situation on Iconium, it, it really did, it wasn't time for them to go. It wasn't time for them to check out yet. They knew they had more to do in the Lord. In verse 7, look at, we, we're going to see them move on now. They're going to go to another city now. Okay, the Lord's leading them. This opposition happens. They go to another city. Now they're going to be in Lystra. Look at verse 7. And they were preaching the gospel there. Again, there's the what. What were they doing? They were preaching the gospel there. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently, and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped up and walked. Again, what was being taught? Now they're in a new city. What was being taught? The Word of God. They were preaching the Word, preaching the gospel. You know, Paul and Barnabas weren't traveling around as miracle workers, okay? They weren't traveling around and, you know, setting up a big, big white tent and having like a tent revival and, you know, come out and be healed. You know, they weren't traveling around as miracle workers. Their, their focus was always on preaching the gospel first. You know, yes, signs and wonders came also with that, but their primary thing to go out was preaching the gospel. Didn't matter where they went, didn't matter who they came across, didn't matter what city they were in, they were always preaching the gospel. You see, the Bible tells us that we need to be ready in season and out of season, no matter where we go. That's 2 Timothy 4, 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. When? In season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. You see, we have to be ready. As the Lord leads you, as he takes you. You know, our mission field, here we're talking about Paul and Barnabas. They're, in, they're on a mission field. They're, they're in Asia Minor, over in that area, going to all these different cities. Where's our mission field at? It's right here. It's right where God has us. It's in, our, it's in our neighborhoods. It's in our homes. It's in our community. It's in our workplaces. It's when you go stand in line, you know, at Kroger, and, and the guy behind you looks like he's just having a horrible day. This is our mission field right here. So we need to be ready in season, out of season. When we feel the prompting of the Lord and the Holy Spirit on us to just say something, all we need to do is open our mouths and leave the rest up to him. We also need to be ready to give a hope that is within us. That's 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason, notice, for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Do you believe that this morning, that you have hope in you? Hope that you can then give to somebody else. What hope do we have? What hope do we have in us? Salvation in Jesus Christ. You know that on the day of judgment, he's, you know, he's going to come, he's going to say, no, not this one, this one is mine. I died on the cross for this one. But for those who choose not to believe, for atheists, agnostics, those who reject the message, we know very well that the severity that that hope also carries. It's black and white, guys. It's, there's no gray area. It's black and white, life and death. What, what do I mean by that? I want to share this letter with you this morning from uh, Ray Comfort. Uh, some of you guys may know Ray Comfort. Uh, Ray Comfort is a uh, pastor evangelist. He's been going around for... I think you might have a picture of him, I don't know. But uh, we, there's a, he's been going around for years. Uh, he's very famous for just doing soapbox preaching. He'll, he'll go out and he'll literally take a wooden soapbox, set it on a street corner in New York, on a beach in California, wherever. Uh, he's from New Zealand, so he's got a really cool accent, and people just listen to him, you know. And he, he does that. He just confronts people with the gospel message. You know, he, did, he did a lot of work with uh, Kirk Cameron and stuff as well. 
But I want, to, I want you to listen to this. This is a letter that Ray, an email that Ray Comfort received uh, from an atheist. And I hope it kind of furthers my point here of the severity of the hope that we carry. He says, Ray, if you're right about God as you say you are, and you believe then, how can you sleep at night? This is a letter from an atheist to Ray Comfort. When you speak to me, you are speaking with someone who you believe is walking directly into eternal damnation, into an endless onslaught of horrendous pain which your loving God created. Yet you stand by and do nothing. If you believe one bit of a thousands of every day were falling into an eternal and unchangeable fate, you should be running the streets mad, rage with blindness, with their blindness, raged and mad at their blindness. That's equivalent to just standing on a street corner and watching every person that passes you walk blindly directly into the path of an oncoming bus and die, yet you stand by idly and do nothing. Imagine the horrors of hell must have in store if the Bible is true. You're just going to allow that to happen and not care about saving anyone but yourself? If you're right, then you're an uncaring, unemotional, purely selfish, blankety-blank-blank-blank, that has no right to talk about such things as love and care for other people. Convicting, right? So, of course, Ray shared this. He shared a little bit about this letter. And this is Ray speaking. He says, listen to this guy, James. Listen to his words. He says, if you believed, one bit that thousands every day were falling into an eternal and unchangeable fate, you should be running the streets mad with rage at their blindness. He says, I wrote back to him, uh, this guy James, and told him that that's what I've been doing for 35 years. Thousands of times I've stood up on a soapbox and made myself a fool to plead with the ungodly. I literally do run around the streets mad with rage and blindness. And whenever I find myself being selfish and not caring about their terrible fate that they will one day face, I feel completely ashamed. And I know that I am not alone. There are millions of Christians who are just as horrified as I am and do not sleep at night and live to reach the lost. May God raise up more who cannot sleep at night, who cannot live for themselves, who are horrified to the point of running the streets, warning the wicked, that God means what he says about hell and that he has provided a way of escape only through the blood of Jesus Christ. The severity of it, the hope that we have, we have the answer. How serious are you about your walk this morning? How serious are you this morning about sharing your faith with others? Guys, it is black and white. No man knows the day or the hour. We don't know. I like what uh, Charles Spurgeon said about this. He said, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. I like this analogy and this quote so much because it's like a football analogy. I like football, you know, and you think about that, what he says there. He says, let them not leap to hell over our bodies. You think of a, a, a defensive line on the one-yard line, right? The running back gets the ball. He's handed off. He leaps into the air, you know, and he says, we're there. Don't let them leap over us into the end zone. Don't let them leap over us. Let's tackle them. Let's take them down. How severe... How serious are we about our walk and sharing our faith with those that are doing that? They're walking into hell unknowingly. He also says, but let them perish with our arms about their knees. Wide receiver makes a break down the sideline, man. 30-yard beautiful pass by like, like Aaron Rodgers, you know, somebody like that, you know. Okay, and they're in the backfield, you know. The only guy left is the deep safety, and he's down there, and he wraps him up, and he just on the one-yard line. Man. Save the touchdown. Save the touchdown. Are you that serious about sharing your faith with your unbelieving friends, your unbelieving family? Are you grabbing them? Are you tackling them? Are you wrapping up their knees? 
We've got a great opportunity coming up. It's called Thanksgiving. Okay? They can't leave your table, you know? As soon as they serve the turkey, start talking. Hey, I'm serious. You know, how serious are we about our faith? You may not get, the, you may not get another opportunity. Do you realize that? You may not get another opportunity to share with that loved one. How serious are we about trying to pull them out of the pit of hell? We have to think about that. Have to have that goal line stand mindset. So how are we doing this morning? Pretty good, right? right? Convicting, isn't it? It was for me, very much so. Convicting. Again, these apostles did not go from city to city, you know, just to do a sideshow, a circus show, a healing show, a miracle show, even though we see this guy get healed here. Their point was to preach the gospel message to those that were perishing. Guys, there's plenty of people right here in Columbia, Tennessee, right here in Middle Tennessee that are perishing because they don't have the truth of Jesus Christ. They don't have the Savior, Jesus Christ, there in their lives. Well, that's, that's just what you do. You're a pastor. You're supposed to do that. Easy there, believer. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. And Jesus said and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He says, Stay therefore in your living room. No, wait a minute. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, what? Teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. He's commanded each and every one of us as believers to go. Each and every one of us have that command to go. Now, it's going to be somewhere different. Where I go is not going to be where you go. Where you go is not going to be where I go. Where Pastor Tim goes is not going to be where I go. He has the entire body of Christ. We get to be a part of wherever he is taking us, wherever he is leading us. So, back to Acts 14 in verse 9. Look at what it says there. Speaking of this cripple in verse 9, this man heard Paul speaking, and Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up, straighten your feet. This guy heard Paul preaching about Jesus Christ, preaching the gospel message. You see, you know, if we do not speak, they will not hear. You know, and sometimes we don't have to speak at all, right? Because unbelievers are watching, you know. You know, unbelievers are watching your walk. They're watching how you interact at work. They're, walking, they're watching how you interact in your neighborhood, how you interact with your kids in Walmart when they get, boom. I'm calling, I'm calling child services. They're watching how you react. But this man heard Paul speaking, and, and he was moved to believing you see, a lot of people, sadly, never make that transition from hearing the message to believing in Jesus Christ. Not everyone makes that transition. We don't know if they are or not. Our, our call is to just go and share. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you have never made that transition. Maybe what I'm talking about is completely foreign to you. Don't leave here this morning without making that transition of from hearing about the gospel message of Jesus Christ to believing in him. Don't leave here this morning without that. Now in verse 11, we pick it up. Now when the people saw that what Paul had done, they saw the miracle, okay, this reaction to the signs and wonders, right? They raised their voices, saying in the Lycaonian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes, because, they're, because he was the chief speaker. And then the priest of Zeus, there in verse 13, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. Miracles are not always a good thing <laughs> to bring people to Christ, to win people over. Maybe that's why you don't see a lot of that stuff today, except for on TV. You know, I mean, you see a lot of that on TV, the whole crowd just goes, you know, we don't, we don't see a lot of that anymore, you know. 
because man has abused that severely, <laughs> unfortunately. These people saw a miracle happen before their eyes. And did you notice that it did not change their idea of who God was? They saw miracles happen right before. This guy got up, crippled from birth, got up, running around, jumping around, you know, proclaiming Jesus Christ did this, and they've reverted right back to Zeus, Hermes, right? It did nothing to change their ideology of who God was. So therefore, it seems logical to them that Paul and Barnabas must be gods. And they start to worshiping them. You know, it's kind of like there's, there's an old legend, you know, that went on in this area where Zeus and Hermes came down and visited this area. And, you know, and they, you know, they wiped out a whole bunch of people and they, all this stuff was in this area. And that's why there's a, a temple here, uh, this priest of Zeus who's there and stuff. So they just thought they'd come back again. Barnabas, they call Zeus, Paul Hermes as the chief speaker. You know, in Greek mythology, Hermes is the son of Zeus. So here they are, father and son, coming back to share with them. You know? Did not change their idea of who God was one bit. What changes people? The Word of God changes people. The Word of God is what changes people. All we see here, the result of these miracles and stuff, it did not change their idea who God was. What did it do? It created human adoration. Human adoration, when we put men, women, whoever, we put them on pedestals, it never really ends out very well. It doesn't really end up good. It doesn't, it doesn't usually go well. Okay? I mean, just look at professional sports, right? College football, professional sports, you know? One minute, man, they're, they're, man, they're on the top of the... Let's take UT, for example. Oh, man. You know, back in the day when Peyton Manning was there, man, oh. Butch Jones, you know, man... What's going on? Let's crucify him, you know? Now, the gods have clearly blessed Alabama this year. But <laughs> I'm kidding, really. But you can see when we put people on a pedestal, what happens? It's horrible. It never ends well. You know, just about a month or so ago, um, Jim, Jim McElwain, he was the coach at uh, University of Florida, he was receiving death threats. His family was receiving death threats because of their record of like three and five or whatever it was, having a horrible year. He was receiving death threats by fans. Relax. That's messed up. It's, foot, it's football, guys. Okay, get over it. You know, move on. It's sad, but when human adoration never ends well. You know, if you came here this morning to hear me, you probably didn't know I was talking, so I know you're not here for me. Thank the Lord. Don't come here to hear Tim either. He'll tell you the same thing. Don't put him on a pedestal. All it does is set us up to fail because we will fail you one day in our humanness. Paul appeals to the crowd here, asking them to recognize the one true and living God and said, look, guys, get your eyes off of me. I'm not the one to be worshiping. Look at what it says there in uh, verse 14. They, when they heard this, they tore their clothes and ran amongst the multitude, crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you, and preach to you that you should turn from the useless things to the living God. They gave them the answer. They gave them the way out. This tearing their clothes. You know, we don't really go around doing that today. That, I think that would be pretty cool when you're mad, you know. It's, that, that was, this was kind of like you know, when you're mourning or you have grief or loss or you're just really upset with something, you should just go around and just rip your clothes off, you know. Tear your shirt. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they did. And still, they still kind of practice this ceremony in, in Israel today. Jews still practice this ceremony of tearing clothes when something, somebody has wronged somebody else and there's a, they want to go and have a formal rec reconciliation ceremony. They actually cut the shirt right across the heart to show that you are, they're forgiven because they were wronged. There was grief. There's mourning. You know, Paul and Barnabas are like, guys, what are you doing? We are not. Zeus and Hermes. Paul was like, whoa, this is complete blasphemy. 
They, they saw what happened to Jesus when he claimed to be God, right? They picked up rocks to stone him. He says, told them, you should turn away from these useless things. You know, I think we need to take inventory of our lives because as I tend to find more often than not, I have a lot of useless things in my life. Useless things that are not necessarily about God's business. Not necessarily about, not necessarily bad things, right? Eating's good. You know, Mike, hey, men like to eat, right, Mike? Eating is not necessarily a bad thing, but it can be. It can be a, it can be a crutch for somebody. So we need to be careful about those things and look at our lives and take that inventory. We're constantly told throughout Scripture to do that self-check. Take inventory of our lives. Find out what do you need to turn away from? What do you need to turn off? What do you need to unplug? As Paul told them more about Jesus and what he had done for them, he especially wanted them to turn away from those useless things, their pagan worship, their worship to Zeus and Hermes. Because did you see what they tried to do? They saw the miracle. They saw this wonderful thing happen. This guy gets up. He's healed miraculously. And what do they want to do? We'll just take Jesus and add him to what we already have. Woohoo! Now we have Zeus, Hermes, and Jesus. Sweet! Paul's like, no. No. Our lives should not be Jesus plus, or just adding Jesus to where we're at. He wants to completely wreck your life and start it all over. He wants a clean slate with you. And we need to allow him to have that. Get rid of those useless things in our lives and allow him to completely transform us. But we have to be willing to do that, right? We have to allow him to do that. He tells him to turn to the living God, the one true and living God. And he kind of uses some things to consider the things that they're filled with there in verse 15, the heaven, the earth, and the sea, all the things that they were used to worshiping and just saying that, look, you know, he doesn't want you to just take what we're saying about Jesus Christ and add it to you know, your worship as another G, little God, G, little G, okay? It's the true God, the true one behind all creation. Did you notice that, you know, here Paul did not really preach the same way to these pagan worshipers, the way he preached to the Jews? And those that were acquainted with Judaism and acquainted with the Old Testament, he did not use the same method, but he taught the same message. Okay? Same, different methods, right? God will use numerous things to allow an open door into somebody's life, right? You guys, I'm sure, any, any one of you, I'm sure, can come up here and see how you can start a conversation about something trivial or the natural things and then be able to turn it over and move to a spiritual conversation with somebody. That's what we saw Jesus doing over and over and over again throughout scriptures is that he started off in the natural, started off with something about plowing a field and then all of a sudden he was talking about salvation in him. They're just mind blown. So Paul did not necessarily preach the same exact way, but he taught the same message. The message does not need to change. It didn't have to change back then. It doesn't need to change today. We don't need to, like I said, pretty it up, you know, make it different, whatever, try to make it different. The Word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So notice what happens in verse 18. And with these things, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Even with all this, all their efforts, tearing their clothes, running around, saying, we're not gods. Paul and Barnabas still had an extremely difficult time challenging that wrong concept of who God was with the Lysterians here. So don't, don't let difficulty derail you from ministering God's love and plan to somebody. Don't let opposition derail you from that because know, just know ahead of time that opposition will always come. It's always going to be there. It's always going to come. Just don't let it derail you. Don't get discouraged by it. And we see that happen here right after this. Verse 19, persecution follows them again. Then the Jews from Antioch. Okay, now Antioch's come into play. They've, they've traveled from Antioch now. And Iconium, it says there in verse 19. Remember, they're still in, in Lystra, in, in Derby. 
These people are now coming from other cities now to persecute them. Okay? Having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. So these opponents, you know, were not content to just kick Paul out again. You know, they were ready to stone him. And they did that. Some of the Jews, these persecuting people, again, they traveled more, you know, Antioch from, it's, it's, it's about 100 miles. You've got to be pretty mad with someone to travel 100, 100 miles by foot, okay? They didn't have cars, you know, by foot, 100 miles to go uh, inflict pain on somebody. These were dedicated adversaries of Paul, okay? They, they, they meant everything they wanted to do and incite, inflict harm on Paul and Barnabas. Again, you see the crowd being persuaded there. Again, very fickle crowd here, right? In an attempt to execute Paul and Barnabas. Sound familiar to kind of where Pastor Tim is at. You know, in, on Sundays we're in the Follow Me series of Jesus, and he's, he's talking about where we're at. We're, we're almost at the end of Passion Week, you know. Jesus is about ready to be betrayed, you know, last time, and we heard about all that with Judas and getting ready to go to the cross. And what do they yell? They crucify him. Five days ago, what were they doing? Hosanna in the highest. Here he comes. Yeah. You see how fickle the crowd can be? It's the same thing here. Just, it's a dramatic demonstration of how fickle crowds can be, you know, towards somebody. When you admire them and admonish them, give human praise to them. Not going to last very long when you say something they don't like. Okay? It's very dangerous for any of us or any spiritual leader to cultivate and allow any kind of hero worship or following after us. But before you leave today, I have a book out there. Okay? It can be yours for three easy installments of 1995. I'm going to make sure you pick it up. So, I mean, three love offerings of 1995. We have to be careful. We have to be careful of accepting and allowing any kind of hero worship because it will quickly change on you when you say something that they don't like. The same people who are giving honor you know, will, will feel terribly betrayed when their leader is shown to be human. You know, sadly, you know, you look, look over the past few years, you know, we don't have to look very far around our nation to see great men of God that have fallen people who are following after them and following after their teaching and following after their church or whatever they were doing were highly and felt terribly betrayed. You ask a lot of people around here, guys, we're in the, we're in the, we're in the Bible Belt, right? Everybody knows that? Okay, we're in, you know, and I like uh, Pastor Sandy Adams over, you know, over at uh, Calvary Stone Mountain. He says, no, we're not, we're not in the Bible Belt. We're in the buckle of the Bible Belt, okay? And we're in the buckle of the Bible Belt. That's where we're at, all right? Okay, and he says, the problem is, there's a whole lot of belt and not a whole lot of Bible. <laughs> and that's what we see happening around here. How many people have you talked with in our, in our area, in our mission field right here, that have been, I don't know, hurt by the church? I was raised in church. I did all that kind of stuff growing up, but, you know, I just don't like that anymore. That's not for me, you know. I, I was raised in church. I was drugged to church, you know. My mama slapped me to go to church, you know, whatever. You mean, fill in the blank, you know probably heard a lot of that, you know, because that's kind of the mission field that we live in. That's what, you know, you, you ask anybody here, you know, do they believe in Jesus Christ? Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember uh, Pastor Rob, when, we, uh, when he first came up out of Florida, Pastor Rob, he's at the Calvary in Brentwood. Uh, he says, you know, he was talking to somebody, he says, yeah, I'm a Christian. And the guy says, uh, what kind of Christian are you? What? He's like, we, what? <laughs> you know, what kind of Christian are you? You know, Church of Christ, Methodist, Baptist, what flavor are you, man? And he's like, man, I, I don't know. I'm nothing, really. I just love Jesus, man. You know? I don't know that I'm really a flavor of anything. No, I'm not really an ice cream bar or something, but, you know? But that's where we live at. That's the community. That's the, that's the people we are ministering to. Chances are, nine times out of ten, you talk to someone, if they know Jesus Christ, their answer is going to be yes. That was how I grew up. I grew up Methodist. I grew up in the church from the time I was little, sleeping in the pew on my mom's lap. But 
I never, it, it went, the hearing never went to believing for me. Until later on when I was in college and a friend of mine said, hey man, do you, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? I thought that dude was speaking something, I don't know what he was, what are you talking about? What, a relationship with Jesus? You can have a relationship with Jesus Christ? You mean like we have a relationship like we're talking right now? Yeah, man, you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, man. Come on, dude. You know? And from then on, you know, my life has never been different. But I was raised in that. Hearing, but never making the transition to believing and calling him my Lord and Savior. So they stone Paul. They drag him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. You know, we see here, you know, Paul is miraculously preserved. You know, Paul later wrote in uh, Galatians 6, verse 17, that I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. Many commentators believe that he was speaking specifically about this instance of being st Stoning was like modern day, you know, lethal injection, execution chair. Okay, stoning was a form of killing somebody, firing squad, whatever you want to call it. It was usually pretty effective. Okay? I'm not talking about picking up little rocks and tossing it at somebody, okay? Stoning. Dropping stones on people's heads. It was usually pretty effective. Yet we see here Paul miraculously preserved. Having in mind the scars from this incident as he wrote to Galatians. Also, you know what? We've got to turn there. I can't. I can never leave this section of scripture. 2 Corinthians 11. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 11. This is one of my favorite sections of scripture. I share it frequently. If you're ever having a bad day, highlight this. Read it. 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11 in verse 22. Paul also, uh, Paul speaking here. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they of the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In laborers more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequently. In deaths often. From the Jews five times I received. Forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and the day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, perils is dangers, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. So how bad is your life right now? Are you really having a bad day? If you ever are, read this section of Scripture. It kind of puts it in the light. One day we may face this kind of opposition to God's Word. Thankfully, right now we don't, but there are other places in the world where people are absolutely facing this same kind of opposition and physical abuse that Paul went through. Back with me in Acts 14. We'll start to wrap it up here. So, in verse 20, they threw him out of the city. Verse 19, supposing him to be dead. Verse 20, however, when the disciples gathered around him, notice the miracle. He rose up and went into the city and the next day departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Now, I don't know about you, okay, but if I just got stoned in the city, okay, you go downtown Nashville, you go to see the Predators game or something, you go out the back alley, and you get a butt whooping of some kind or another, you know, I'm probably not, it's going to be a while before I go back to a Predators game. Just saying. He rose up and immediately goes back into the city. That can only be driven by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. To immediately get up, obviously miraculously, you know, getting up, you know, and returning back into the city, right where the people tried to kill you. They just tried to stone you. 
that could only have come from the Lord. Remember, you never know who will be watching. Do you ma- can you imagine how impactful that must have been to the guys who were actually throwing rocks at, at, at him to kill him? Man, I, dude, you, I, I dropped the big one on him, dude. Did you see that? That's the same guy. I, I had the big rock, remember? Yours was small. I had a big rock. That's the same guy. Didn't we just kill him? I imagine that right there alone was very impactful to the people that saw Paul immediately walk right back into the city to continue the message and continue preaching what he was doing and what the Lord was trying to accomplish. So just keep in mind, there's always going to be opposition when we go out and we attempt to preach the word of God. Always we're going to have opposition. We'll wrap it up here. Paul leaves for Lystra here in verse 20. And the next day they departed with Barnabas to Derbe. So they go from Lystra. Now they're in Derbe. Again, we see the where. They're going to several different cities, moving around. What are they doing again? This is this, you guys know the answer now. This should not just kind of see a pattern here, okay? Right? 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, so they preached the gospel. Again, another city, a new set of people, wherever we go, take and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter the persecution they suffered in Lystra, it didn't matter. It didn't say, all right, guys, you know what? This, this missionary thing, you know, it's not going so well. I think we should just, you know, lick our wounds and go home, okay? This is not really, this is like the third time now, guys, okay? <laughs> third city in a row, you know? Maybe the next city will be better, I don't know. The persecution did not deter them, did not derail them from going to a new place. They continued their work in teaching in the Word of God. And then they returned back to uh, Antioch in, in Syria. Look at verse 21. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Notice what they were doing. They were strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and, say, and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So as they went back through, they're heading back home to there's, you know, they were in Antioch and Poseidon, which is in Asia, Asia Minor. Now they're going back to the Antioch, which is in Syria. Going back, going through all the different cities that they just came from. Still exhorting them, sowing into people's lives, discipling them, strengthening them, encouraging them, making disciples, fulfilling the Great Commission. As Christians, guys, we need to be strengthening our souls. We need to be exhorting one another. We need to be lifting each other up to continue in the faith. That's why we fellowship together on Sundays and throughout the week and whenever we can. It's no small thing, you know, to to walk in the Lord year after year, trial after trial, stoning after stoning. What does it do? It makes us stronger, right? It build, We need to be building each other up as the body of Christ strengthening one another. That's why we do life together, as Pastor Tim says a lot. We do life together. We want to do life together. We want to be there for one another. We want to be filling out these prayer cards and be praying for one another to see what God's going to do. You know, don't fill these out and just, ah, nothing's going to happen. You know, nobody's going to pray for that. Man, it's exciting to see already what God is doing with these prayer cards. It's no small thing for us to be encouraging one another, strengthening one another. Now, the next section here, people really don't like very much as Christians. We don't like to hear this. Verse 22, it says that we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Okay, all right, I was good until this point. You know, until we got to this verse, I was doing all right. I was being encouraged, but I don't like the tribulation thing. I don't like the... The, uh, the whole pain thing, you know, the whole stoning kind of thing. You know, it's kind of making me uncomfortable. It does strengthen us when we go through trials. They make us stronger to build on our walk. That's, what we, that's, what, that's why trials come into our lives. But most Christians today consider you know, any kind of tribulation completely being counterproductive to kind of you know, Christian living, Right? failing to note that it is a significant part of God's plan for a believer. 
We don't like to hear that, though. Just tell me the good things about, you know, the, just let's, let's pick out the good verses in, in Scripture and then just share those. Hey, it works. It fills pews. It fills lots of churches across this country. But we're shortchanging people with the true gospel message, with the, the entire Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. We're shortchanging people when we do that. Let's face it, that doesn't fill pews. When you tell someone, come to Jesus Christ, you're going to suffer pain, you know, people are going to hate you, it's, man, people are going to hate you, it's great, dude, your family, they're going to think you lost it, you know, your people at work, they're just going to think you're nuts. But hey, follow after Jesus Christ, you know. But no, come to Jesus Christ because you'll have love, joy, peace, patience, kind, man. Your wallet will be full, filled to the brim, you know. If you just pray it and name it, man, it'll bring it in. It'll, tenfold, baby, tenfold. Counterproductive to Christian living if we go through trials, right? If we go through difficult situations. Turn with me to James 1. Again, another favorite section of Scripture of mine. I have this also highlighted in my Bible. James 1, starting at verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy if you fall... Ooh, wait a minute. What does that say? When, circle that, highlight that, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. Trials are part of God's plan for our life. Don't, don't think that, you know, your Christian walk is just going to be all roses and chocolate bars or whatever. I don't know. Fill in the blank. I don't know. It's not. It's, it's hard. Ask anybody that's trying to walk out for Jesus Christ in their workplace if it's hard. Ask some of our kids that are in schools if it's hard being a Christian and carrying your Bible around school. Ask them if they get made fun of. Don't forget, where do you be praying for them? Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. But just look at the outcome, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And he's doing a work in each and every one of us. He's growing each and every one of us. Allow that work to take place. So back with me to Acts. We wrap it up. You know, they go on. They appoint elders in every church. After they have appointed elders, they, you know, they pray and they fast. They commended them to the Lord in verse 23 and all that they had believed. So they appoint elders. They didn't just want to leave these new churches, these new believers to just do whatever they want. They wanted to, wanted to make sure they were established in the Lord. You know, if you're new, man, get into Bible studies, go to home fellowships, man, get, get into God's word every day of your life. Make it a priority to know more about him, to disciple yourself, to get off of the milk of the word, just being taught on Sunday mornings, and get into the meat of the word for yourself every day of the week. Get into the word of God. Verse 24, and after they had passed through Poseidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had, oh, oh, they had preached the word in Perga, again, they're doing the same thing over and over again and over again in every city that they go. And then they went down to Italia. That's not Italy, that's Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch when they had been commended there to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. They completed the work that the Lord put before them. Now these words are kind of partially true because, you know, this was just the first mission trip, you know. This was the first trip going around, right? Because they weren't done. The spreading, the spreading of the gospel isn't, it's not done, right? I hope it's not. And we're wasting our time right now. It's not done. We have the same charge for us, right? As all believers, the Great Commission to go 
and spread the truth of God's word, that they do have hope. Notice verse 27. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the doors of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. They reported all that God had done with them. Guys, share your faith. Share your struggles. Share your your success with other believers. It's very encouraging to hear someone come up to you and say, man, I share with this guy at work, and man, he just went broke down right there in my office, and he gave his life to the Lord. It was beautiful. We are encouraged when we hear what God is doing in other people's lives. Very encouraging to us. And you see here, Paul and Barnabas, when they get back, they get to church together, and they're like, guys, man, this is what God did. It was awesome, man. It's like a pep rally at the end of a mission trip. They get back, and like, man, this is what God did for us. He did this, and man, he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. You remember those guys, you know? The Jews used to believe that Gentiles, they probably still do today, that the Gentiles, all they are good for is keeping the fires of hell burning, Okay? Now they're like, dude, the door of faith was open to the Gentiles. Do you believe that? Do you see what God's doing? They were excited about what God did in their lives and how God used them. Are you excited about what God's doing in your life? Are you excited about how God's using you today? Are you encouraged when you hear about what God's doing in other people's lives? Man, we're encouraged. We should be encouraged to share our faith with others and what God is doing. That's part of the one of the four main pillars in Acts 2:42, the fellowship. When we get to get, whenever we get together, we should be sharing what God is doing in our lives. Why? Because it builds us up. It encourages us. It strengthens the body of Christ. He opened the door of faith, it says there. Now, there was great obstacles, right? You know, there was a lot of difficulties, there was a lot of hardships. He's up there. I was stoned, guys. I was stoned, and they left me for dead. Who's going on the next trip? (laughs) Woo! They were not deterred from the work that God had for them. What is deterring you this morning from the work that God has for you to do? We already established that. You know what? He's told each and every one of us to go, therefore, and make disciples. That's to everybody. What is deterring you from the work that he wants to do in your life with others around you? What will it take for you to back down from doing God's will? Remember the hope that we have in us, guys. It's black and white. Let's let's make make that goal line stand, okay? They're, they're coming. They're, they're jumping into hell. They're walking in there freely, okay? Let's not be like, you know, UT's defensive line. Let's let them walk through, okay? Let's, let's, stop, let's, stand, let's make a stand, a goal line stand, okay? And don't let them just walk off in, into hell. Do you really love your family members that much? I bet you do. Do you really love the people that you work with? Well, probably some of them. No, all of them. Nothing stopped Paul and Barnabas from fulfilling God's will for their life. Nothing derailed them. Paul later on expressed this in the the letter that he wrote to the church in Philippians. Philippians 3, verses 12 and 14. We'll wrap it up right here. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do, not my, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. You know, if I was stoned, I think I'd want to forget that too, okay? Whooped, beaten, you know, all the different things that we read in 2 Corinthians. Forgetting all those things that are behind and reaching forward to those which are already ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Press on this morning, Christian. Each and every one of us has a part to play in God's plan. What are we doing? Where are we going? 
when, why, who, what, where, when, why, you know, all those different, you know, we looked at all that. Who do we teach? Who do we preach? We preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What is it? It's the gospel message. It's the Word of God. Sunday after Sunday or Bible study after Bible study, if you come to this church, that's what you're going to hear is the Word of God. Amen to that. Where? It's everywhere that the Lord leads you. It doesn't matter if it's your workplace, your community, your neighbor, standing in line at Kroger, whatever the case may be. Wherever God leads you, be ready in season, out of season. If we're ready and prepared every day to share with somebody, God will bring those divine appointments in your life. It's the Great Commission. Why? It's what we're all told to do. It's a command to all believers to go out and do this. When we were, when we were on our uh, first mission trip, when we went, first mission trip I went on to Peru, there was a girl there, uh, and I'll never forget her, Angie. Kind of reminds me of like you know, Jan, you know, just I mean, incredibly on fire for the Lord. Incredibly on fire for the Lord. And her goal was to win somebody over to Jesus Christ every single day. She prayed that every day. God, give me a divine appointment with somebody today. That was her prayer. And to this day, she is still doing that. Every day, that's her prayer. God, Bring me someone that I can sow hope into. Bring me someone that I can give the answers to. Guys, we have the answer. We're sitting on the remedy. We have the formula. We know what the answer, we know what the end is too. In all boldness, let's encourage one another, let's strengthen one another to go out there and do that. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much, Lord, that you've given us your word to read, to study, to encourage us, to build us up, Lord. And Father, I pray that we were encouraged today by the power of your word, Lord. Let us not be derailed, Lord, from what it is that you want to do in our lives, Lord, and how you want to use us, Lord. Let us not be afraid of the opposition that we know will come. Let us not be afraid of the trials, Lord, but press on, as Paul said, in our Christian walk, Lord. We pray, Lord, for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon each and every one of us here today, Lord, that you would even today, this very afternoon, Lord, as we go out of these four walls, out into the mission field, Lord, that you would give us those divine appointments to share our faith with all boldness, with all strength that only comes from you. So, Father, again, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement of your word and the power and leading and guiding of your Holy Spirit. We ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.